Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew, and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the show. It's Our nice show. to be back. This show. It's nice to be back. <laughs> I always feel like throwing that in, though. Uh, good, because it's, it's nice that you say something. You Although you had a lot to say last week. I, I did, yeah. Some of it quite positive. Some was of it, it not so much. Wasn't most of it not so much. Well, that's not our fault that the comics sucked. As a rule, we try to be quite positive about the comics that we pick. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the comics that we pick let us down. That is. Not what you can do about it. But not today! <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Today's comics have not let us down in any way. Three classics this day. Classic. To sow the seeds of this day. Okay. See what I did there? Yeah, yeah. To sow yeah. the seeds of... Um, anyway, should we have a look at emails? Because <laughs> I presume you've got nothing to say once again. I, I don't really have anything to You've got nothing of import that you wish to say to the lovely listeners about uh, the, the possible future direction of the show. Oh, that we definitely might be ending this year. <laughs> we definitely might be. <laughs> what are we, an Oasis album? Yeah, yeah definitely, maybe. Tell, tell. Uh, yeah, I, I've been offered a unconditional place by the Staffordshire University for the comic and cartoon course. So this time next year I'll be I'll be drawing my own comics. Is that is that what they've told you? That's what they've told me. I will be drawing my own comics for three years. Well that's that's excellent. And so you may actually be at Fort Bubble selling them work. As a vendor. Yeah. Which would be nice, wouldn't it? You could you could hang around behind tails with Michael Georgia. Yeah. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? I'd spend most of it going around though, just doing my usual thought bubble thing. So, <laughs> I, I don't think Although! Sod's still on my own work. Early entry, dude! Yeah? Do not forget your father. <laughs> if you get early entry. I'll forget where I came. I won't forget where I came. You better not, dude. I'll, I'll remember my home box. Well, I'm stood outside queuing up in the pissing down rain. Yeah. You're inside getting autographed signatures from everybody. Autographed signatures? Yeah, as opposed to those signatures <laughs> that aren't autographs. You know the ones I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations on your place. I've just got to be able to afford this now. <laughs> oh, you have? Yeah, well, yeah. Once you leave, dude, you're, you're not my problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you're made up about that. I am, yeah, get out! <laughs> uh, yeah, so well done to you. Congratulations. On the negative side, that probably means we will end this year. Yeah. Final end date has not yet been confirmed. You never know, we may not. Maybe like last year. Maybe we'll get picked up for another season. Yeah, yeah if I fail again. Yeah, if you fail again, yeah. <laughs> it's always possible. It is. Uh, so we'll look it's at the email. unconditional. <laughs> unconditional surrender. Yeah. Uh, Michael Bailey emailed in. It's always nice to hear from Mike. It is. The Leylands versus Borden. Borden wins. <laughs> 
it's subject anyone's just a Leyland versus but I threw that that, yeah. that little <laughs> that little bit at the end. Hey there, Andy and Michael. Hey there, Mikey might be. Right off the bat, let me express how utterly entertained and impressed I was with your two Scott Pilgrim episodes. Thank you very much. I have very little interest in ever reading the books, and because Michael, I play the same character in every movie I'm in, because why bother to stretch myself as an artist? Sarah plays the lead character. I want nothing to do with the film. So it's nice hearing you talk about the series more than that. I loved how much fun you both seemed to be having. This was quintessential Hey Kids Comics. I I don't know the meaning of the word. (laughs) He doesn't. He really doesn't. Uh, Michael continues, I would like to touch on the conversation that you both had at the beginning of the second part about DC's recent solicitations. Michael expressed more than once that he doesn't understand why Superman fans are wigging out about the changes made to the character post-convergence. He brought up some valid points, and whilst you both did express some of the thoughts I was having whilst listening to the episode, I wanted to add my own perspective. You both mentioned that Superman hasn't been consistent since, well... Andy said since the 2000s, and I would have to agree. Despite having some great individual runs from late 1999 until today, it's been rough going for Superman fans. Not only did we have to deal with the civil war that happened around the time of Superman Returns, Smallville fans versus Superman Returns fans, Superman Returns has fans, (laughs) and the absolutely atrocious behaviour that happened around the time of Man of Steel's release, we never had to put up with inconsistent and half-assed attempts at reaching new readers whilst alienating old ones. Michael mentioned that there has been a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing, and I agree, which is why I am so upset. It's not the change, because again, as you mentioned, Superman has changed quite a bit over the decades. It's the fact that DC can't seem to manage Superman to save their lives. I can deal with change. What I can't deal with is the fact that DC seems to think a new power or a new costume is the problem with Superman. No, the problem is you think you have to constantly reinvent the character for a new generation when the things that are great about him are the same no matter what age we live in. So when I saw that new costume that was coming down the road two months after we got this huge push from Jeff Johns to get the character back to centre, I hit the roof. I felt lied to. Like they are saying things just to pacify me momentarily, but still doing everything in their power to get away from the core of who Superman is. Sorry about the rant. You guys had a great discussion and the shows have been amazeballs. He actually says... Well, he doesn't say amazeballs, but I'm down with the kids. Kudos to Michael for the last two episodes. They sounded unique and were a lot of fun. Cheers, Mikey Mike B, Superman apologist and host of tons of stuff, including views from the Long Pox, Bailey's Batman podcast, Crisis Crisis Superman podcast, Tales of the Justice Society of America, Radio KAL, and... You really should go and check out his blog on fortressofbailitude.com where he has typed up his own thoughts about what has been happening with the Man of Steel. Uh, that email section where you just went off on a tour, <laughs> as opposed to it being me yeah. that goes off on a tour, it was quite entertaining. It was, I enjoyed listening back to it, which was All quite right. fun. Uh, also provoked uh, a bit of email that I think we should, uh, we should read. So we're going out of order, which I don't normally do, but Bob Fisher also emailed in uh, Superman Forever Radio. Everyone who listens has their own <laughs> podcast, that's just uh, the way yeah, it yeah. goes. Sorry for taking so long to write, but I'm old and I lost my pen. The last two episodes covering the manga story were excellent. Great synopsis, and I was really into the story. Great music choices. However, unless I missed it, I was surprised that since Stephen Stills was one of the main characters, you never actually played any Stephen Stills music. Did I miss it, Michael? No, I didn't play any. Did you not put any? Was that a deliberate artistic choice? It was, yeah. (laughs) I I, I stuck mostly to uh, 
the soundtrack. All right, fair enough. Apart from the two times when I didn't. Um, and the, the Ramona song? No, no, no. Um, it was when I was doing the, the backing music for the synopsis, and the score to the movie is god-awful. Is it? bleak, it's moody, it's like a Nine Inch Nails album. It everything that's got Pilgrim isn't. Down. Exactly, so I, I actually did very little with that, and so I used the uh, Scott Pilgrim game soundtrack a lot, but because there was a problem with the audio formats, I had to make it mono instead of stereo. And so because the music is quite chip-tune anyway, I thought it got quite annoying in places, mm. so there were certain times where I just went for the Hotline Miami 2 soundtrack, which is like... Electro, so it's very similar. It fitted. Yeah, I didn't notice, and I would have said something. Yeah, yeah. I am your harshest critic. You, you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point of Bob's email is the email section. Great points on both sides. I think Michael, you hit the nail right on the head about the current Superman. They have been trying to sell everything about Superman, but Superman. One event after another, another creator after six issues, and on and on. Well said. I couldn't have said it better, and I've tried on my own podcast, Superman Forever Radio, but ended up editing the 20 minute rant out. I also agree with you, Andrew, that Snyder has earned the right to do something weird with Batman, and we're not as quick to dismiss it. I had the exact feelings you had about the upcoming t-shirted Superman. And I think for the same reason, Superman overall has been a mess. I blame his look on Jim Lee, but his overall lack of direction I put right at the feet of Mr. DiDio. He doesn't like classic Superman, period, and it shows. I was about to write a part of that rant that I mentioned here, but your next episode is about Jeff Johns and John Romita Jr. So I will keep my powder dry for that one. Thanks again. September will be bittersweet, I'm sure. Bob Fisher of Superman Forever Radio. Thank you very much, Bob. Derek Crabb also emailed in about that particular email exchange. Uh, hello, Andrew and Michael. Hello, Derek. Whilst I enjoy your courage of Scott Pilgrim and agree that Michael Serra's casting never felt right as Scott, talking Superman and knee-jerk reactions to changes in the email section was what got my attention. Well, you and everyone else, Derek. <laughs> as to the new 52 Superman armour, I can agree that it certainly is a suit designed to be penciled by the designer. But then I also can't say I particularly care for Jim Lee, not only on Hush, but more topically on the new 52 Justice League and Superman Unchained. I will point to Kenneth Rockefort, who certainly pencils in a manual similar to Jim Lee, and who can pull off the design rather nicely, and as an artist whose work I enjoy on the new Superman. The Lobdell Rockefeller issues of Superman, or at the very least the Lobdell penned issues himself, could be placed in the same consistency chair for Superman as Snyder on Batman. I'm sure there are many who much malign Lobdell's new 52 work, even though the Teen Titans run was atrocious. His Superman wasn't a pushover, and I will defend his run on the title. Hell on Earth in the Superman family was certainly tantamount to the Court of Owls in the Batman family. Lobdell certainly attempted to add to the mythos with Dr. Shea Veritas, even though I last noticed she was getting a bigger pushover in Supergirl. I love the hell out of Superman's confrontation with the Kryptonian dragon monster in the prelude. I guess it just reminds me of Simonson's Thor 380, the Kryptonian John Munigand, or whatever. Continuing to use Hellspawn from former Wildcats universe as the Superman Big Bad was interesting, and I enjoyed Superman's interactions with the Outlaws, even though that particular crossover can be seen as self-serving since Lobdell was writing both books. Even though many New 52 titles referred to past continuity within the New 52 that we never saw, and probably never will, such as Martian Manhunter's Rise and Fall from the Justice League and the first battle between the Justice League and Despero, well, that 
is generally bothersome. I thought the imprisoned discard Luther, who must have had an epic battle with New 52 Superman, was something to behold. I do think Jeff Johns' work on Justice League and Forever Evil, either intentionally or unintentionally, destroys any consistent narrative to be had with the New 52 Superman title or family of titles. Dr. Psycho in the Superboy titles, for instance, was not exactly a good guy, more of a Quark-esque conman, but became somewhat of an ally to the Superman family insofar as Wolf Crypto was letting the character pet him and share a closet with him when the two were hiding out. Yet in Johns' JLA, Dr. Psycho was about to have a bunch of hostages mutilate each other. There have been some nice bits in the pack run on action comics, particularly with the inclusion of characters such as Baka and the Ghost Soldier, plus Ethan Van Skeever does a pretty good job with the armour in Convergence. Looking forward to the Ulysses run, good or ill, but I just felt like saying my piece on Lobdell and Roquefort. Take care, Derek, who hosts History of Comics on Films and the Fan Holes podcast. The final email tonight that seemed to be inspired by the Superman discussion is from Chris Franklin. Hello Leylands, hello Christopher, I'll be honest, I haven't read much of the new 52 Superman. I read a bit of Morrison's stuff, didn't hate it, but the rest has just seemed mm, misguided. Seems like everyone knows who Superman is, except for those people who work at DC Comics. It's like if you walked into the office, your mind wiped of all knowledge of what makes Superman Superman. As for when the last good Superman comic tale was published, it probably was All-Star, although I've been reading the trades of the digital first adventures of Superman title, and there are some good stories in there, free of the shackles of continuity. I'd recommend checking those out. Removing the Kents from the adult Clark's life makes him harder to relate to, no doubt. Byrne's greatest gift to Superman was the living Kents, in my opinion. Everyone seeks advice from their parents if they are lucky to have them live into their adult life. Having Superman stop by the farm for a pep talk went a long way to making of a character we actually cared about when he wasn't punching giant robots. Another boneheaded move removing them, I say. I also love Superman the movie. It is my absolute favourite film of all time. I quote it daily as well, but I do agree it may be time to move on. I'll just go back to elements of it being organically part of the Superman mythos, like it was before Johns first took the reins post-Infinite Crisis. As for the art, I used to really like Romita Jr. during his first run on Amazing Spider-Man, but as the years have progressed, his style has evolved into something I could barely stand. I know style is subjective, but when none of your characters look human anymore, I think it's time to dial that back a bit. Klaus Janssen? This may seem blasphemy, but I've never liked his art or inks. There, I said it. I think his inks work over some artists, like early Frank Miller, but adding him to Ramita's own scratchy, ill-defined pencils is like pouring ketchup into marinara sauce. And who wants to eat that? Looking forward to the wrap-up, I think, Chris, who is the host of Superman. So they were just four people who got in touch with us regarding the, the Superman discussion, and I hope that you all get in touch regarding the Superman discussion we had in the past couple of episodes just regarding Klaus Janssen I think we've said on this show neither of us are big fans maybe Dark Knight Returns yeah but whenever he drew his own stuff he was a bit naff I think we've had problems with Klaus Janssen so the thing is you know never be afraid of saying of slowing of slaying a sacred cow yeah because you may just find that other people are right there with you and never be afraid of championing something that other people don't like because again I think you may find that there are more people on your wavelength than you think. If something's really, really crap, but everyone says it's great, and you think it's crap, and you don't say that it's crap, then it's just going to carry on being crap. But if you say no... <laughs> Very profound! If you, if you say no, that's crap, then they might say, oh, okay, and make something that's alright. And anger is an energy. Yeah. As the mighty John Lydon once put it. 
Well, that's it. I, I don't really have anything to add. I think either we're kind of Superman out at this point. Yeah, we, we kind of vented we it We kind of vented week. it over the past couple of shows. I don't really think we have anything new to add on the, the Superman discussion, but I very much look forward to hearing anybody email in who liked Ulysses. Tell us what you liked about it. Tell us why you liked it. I, I would be keen to hear that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Plug a show, and then we're going to be back celebrating Frank Castle's 42nd birthday. Make my day. Oh, it's a different guy, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Back in a minute. The Fantastic Arts is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more. And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes forgot, the 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Kree Skrull War. The arrival of Marvel Team Up. Bill Murray as the Human Torch. Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway... Rich Buckler and John Byrne. And of course, Marvel 2 in 1. All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. The Fantastic Cast. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? Created by Jerry Conway and John Romita, The Punisher made his debut in Amazing Spider-Man 129. This, the holy grail of comic books, went on sale in October 1973, which makes this year his 42nd birthday. Now, 42 may not seem to be that big a deal, as birthdays go, but with The Punisher, a man who lives a day at a time, we'll take our celebrations where we can get them. When writer Jerry Conway introduced The Punisher, it was as a foil for Spider-Man, and he was never meant to be anything more than a one-shot guest star. Conway was influenced by the morally ambiguous anti-hero that was on the rise in 70s literature and cinema. Characters like Dirty Harry Callahan and Don Pendleton's Mac Bolan, The Executioner. In fact, The Punisher is almost a carbon copy of The Executioner, both being Vietnam vets with grudges against the Mafia. Designed by Conway and John Romita, the Punisher's signature skull chest motif has arguably become one of comics' most recognisable symbols and, like the bat of Superman emblem, easily replicated on t-shirts and backpacks, meaning he's been a merchandising bonanza for Marvel over the years. Yeah, I've got a Punisher t-shirt. I've had it for years. Just You keep it now, don't you? Uh, well, I've, I always have done, because I got it when the video game came out. Was which, it free? Yeah. Uh, when the movie came out. Yeah. Italian video game. The video game and Grandad bought me, I think it was Driver 2 for the PlayStation. How old were you when Grandad bought you the Certificate 18 game? It wasn't an 80, I think it's like a, I don't know. <laughs> family friendly? <laughs> Totes yeah. family friendly. An older family, but family nonetheless. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they gave away free t-shirts, but it was one size fits all. Um, maybe not fits all, so it was, it was huge, it was like a dress, so I was just slept in it. Like a night dress. Still, still and you still that. do, yeah. Okay. So when you go out at night, yeah. in your dress. In my dress. <laughs> you finish your dress. It's a bit shorter now, and it's still quite baggy. <laughs> I don't know what size it fits, but yeah. It wasn't all. Yeah, it, it wasn't any size that didn't have an X in it. <laughs> Maybe that's who they thought they were aiming it at. <laughs> X size t shirts in video game stores. Mm. <laughs> 
Conway was careful to keep the Punisher from being too one-note and hinted that he may be on the side of the Angels. In his first appearance, he was a dupe for the Jackal, and Conway, perhaps recognising the character's appeal in the turbulent 70s, swiftly brought him back in Amazing Spider-Man 134, cover dated July 1974, although this was a little more than a cameo, and a tease for Amazing Spider-Man 135, where we learn that the Punisher is hunting bigger game than Spider-Man, South American revolutionary the Tarantula. The Punisher would continue to play the part of a Spider-Man supporting player, neither good nor bad, throughout the duration of the 70s, a character that walked that tightrope of the anti-hero that was prevalent in 1970s pop culture. I've always liked the character of the Punisher. There's a Dirty Harry vibe to the man that resonates with me. There's something pure about him. He's not a deep character, his motivations and origins are simple, and I can understand why some people may not like him. He's a man who answers violence with violence, bloody retribution and swift vengeance. He's not a hero in any true sense of the word, and I'd even argue tag of anti-hero is appropriate. A real-life Punisher would probably be a real scumbag, as bad as, if not worse, than the people he kills. His cathartic brand of poetic justice is perfectly acceptable, however, in the pages of pulp literature. And as a fan of pulp literature, there's something pure about the Punisher. As a man whose family was killed by mobsters for no other reason than being in the wrong place at the wrong time, the Punisher is a man who does the real dirty work. That he's damaged is unquestionable. He came out of the ashes of the Vietnam conflict, something writer Garth Ennis feels is paramount to understanding him. But he does what no one else will do. He tracks the utter scum of the world and puts them down like rabid dogs. His best stories aren't about him at all. They're about the people he hunts. And to make the audience root for him, the people he hunts have to be totally reprehensible. Welcome then to three Punisher tales from three decades. The evolution of the man from supporting player to headline act. Despite having a Punisher t-shirt, do you actually consider yourself a fan of the Punisher? Uh, That would depend on what kind of Punisher. Because my favourite is the Garth Ennis Max Punisher. That's my favourite as well. Yeah. Um, I'm not so hot on the Punisher being a a teched-out, costume-wearing... So basically the Gunner. 90s Jim Lee, Carl Potts version of the, the Punisher's not your back. Yeah. I, mean, I, I appreciate that that's who he was, because the Punisher that I like is just an evolved version of the original character. Yeah. Uh, but no, my favourite Punisher's the spray-on skull on a black t-shirt, who he doesn't have any gear or a costume, he just beats Just a lot of guns. He just goes out with whatever he's got. Just like Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Lots of guns. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. First up, one of the most fondly remembered of his adventures, by me anyway. I I doubt that you can say the same. (laughs) Uh, I first read this in what I have in my hands here, the Spider-Man Summer Special, 1979. One of the first UK summer specials that I owned. Reprinting giant size Spider-Man number 4 from April 1975, the cover to the UK reprint was exactly the same as the US original by Gil Kane. Spider-Man is trapped in a barbed wire fence as the Punisher seemingly orders men to attack him, flanked as he is by guards and a watchtower with snipers. The cover blurb tells us that we have been demanding this, the web-slinger and the gangland executioner teaming up to save the world. The title of the story is also given. All that remains of this blurb on the UK reprint is the title to so... Oh, it's actually got it wrong, hasn't it? It says, If This Be Death's Day. 
a 27-page action epic. Marvel UK replaced the other hyperbole with their own spiel about Spidey's origin retold and the history of Spider-Man on film, which at this point was probably pretty short, I would imagine, given that uh, all we had was the Nicholas Hammond movies chopped into cinema. Yeah, it's a three-page article about the Nicholas Hammond TV show being made into films. Not very in-depth, no. I would imagine. Other than that, they're pretty identical. Uh, identical, sorry. The UK edition eschews the yellow background for a white one and therefore isn't as gurish as the American original. What do you think? Um, I think it's alright, actually. It just I don't think it benefits from being blown up a bit. But you know... No, I think... Just look at the Punisher and the guards. Yeah, it does look like it's been, like you say, it's been blown up in a, a photocopy. I do think that colouring the Punisher's skull pink... Yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Had, um, a bit wrong. Was that printing though? Because I noticed you've yeah. got something else printed on the cover. No, well, what that is, I was quite happily sat there, but I had this in pretty good condition. Right, okay. And I put it on the table to read it and make the notes, and when I opened it up, there's a nice big stain on it, which I blame your sister for, because oh, she's okay. always leaving drinks on the table and spilling them, and doesn't tidy up. <laughs> So, you know, I'm blaming her for it. To Sow the Seeds of Death's Day was written by Jerry Conway with art by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito. On to that, I can just say, I'm glad this wasn't actually giant Size Spider-Man that she's put a stain on, because that's actually <laughs> worth a lot of money. I don't think this British reprint is, mm. so I wasn't overly upset about it. Spider-Man puts an end to a mugging, a mugging that almost ends the life of the wall crawler when one of the men is about to get the drop on Spidey. The mugger's life ends when a bullet flies through his head. Hightailing it out of there before the cops can arrest him, Spider-Man has figured out the bullet that saved his life came from the gun of the Punisher, and he follows him to the Punisher's Upper East Side location. The Punisher isn't too upset to see Spidey, although his saving of the wall crawler's life cost him his only lead on a biochemical gas from overseas. Spider-Man is horrified when the Punisher shows him secret footage of the overseas government testing the gas on live targets, and he joins the Punisher in tracking down the man he believes to be responsible, Moses Magnum. Spider-Man and the Punisher storm the HQ of the Deterrence Research Corporation to locate Magnum. It goes as you would expect a Punisher-led assault would. Lots of dead bodies. Unfortunately, as Spider-Man doesn't kill, he's overpowered and bundled into Magnum's private helicopter. The Punisher watches and muses that it's all going according to plan. <laughs> Spider-Man is dumped in a death camp in the middle of some South American jungle. His frog march to Magnum, noticing the camp is full of people from all over. He mocks Magnum in true Spider-Man fashion, and Magnum rips Spider-Man's mask from his head to reveal some guy we've never seen before. Magnum photographs maskless Spidey and dumps him in a compound where, when night falls, the Punisher hooks up with Spider-Man and they congratulate themselves on their cunning ruse, which was having Spider-Man stuff some cotton wool in his cheeks and mess up his hair, so he looked nothing like Peter Parker. Our duo then hit the camp, taking out the guards in their own unique way, and Spider-Man makes his way to Magnum. Magnum displays unforeseen strength and we almost reenact Nightfall when Magnum snaps Spidey's spine over his knee, but Spidey has had enough of being used as a punching bag in this story and fights back. Magnum lifts a canister over his head to throw at Spider-Man, but the Punisher bursts in and opens fire, bursting the canister. Spider-Man pushes the Punisher out of the door and locks it behind them, leaving Moses Magnum to die from the same chemical he has used on others. I believe that that is called poetic justice. 
And all the way through that, I just kept envisioning Spider-Man versus Tom Selleck. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. don't know why that, that, uh, that came to me. Uh, no issues at all with the artwork. Ross Andrew is one of Spider-Man's most underrated and greatest artists, although he does seem to draw the Punisher looking like Steven Seagal, which made me just want to punch him. <laughs> He does, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see it, yeah. I mean, a, a thinner Steven Seagal. Yeah. It has to be said. And not a smug Steven Seagal, yeah. but, but still <laughs> Steven Seagal. Look at that splash. Yeah. Great splash. The black and white artwork really does emphasise Ross Andrews' pencils, particularly on that splash page, which is very detailed, and uh, I really do like it a lot. Uh, Jerry Conway was a decent writer for Spider-Man do some wonderful things with the character during his run however he did have a tendency to write Peter as a little bit too pissy to people a little too arrogant and wanky which he is here to these policemen isn't he yeah the police show up they're only doing the job they say you've got to answer some questions and Spider-Man's just a bit of a bit of a twat <laughs> what if I don't feel like answering them friend and the cop's like uh, well you, you've got to answer them. <laughs> the, the, that's the law. And Spidey's like, well, nuts to you, pal. And he just, off he goes. Yeah. But I, I didn't really like Spider-Man in this opening bit at all, though, really. Which, from what, you, the entire opening where he stops the muggers? Yeah. Why not? Like, oh, this is serious. So he, he doesn't say anything, and he's very stern, he doesn't joke in this opening bit. He um, doesn't, actually, now that you mention it. No, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but no, you're right, he doesn't. And he doesn't have any Spider-Sense. Apparently not. Yeah. Because his spider sense does not tingle when the Punisher has him in his crosshair. Or when there's a guy sneaking up on him. Or when there's a guy sneaking up on him. You're absolutely right. But haven't we mentioned before, when covering Jerry Conway comics, that Jerry Conway just ignores yeah. the spider sense if it interferes with his story? Yeah. And that's a prime example of that. Well spotted. And then there's the bit where he, Spider-Man says, let's just take a moment to remember that someone lost their life. But apart from that, he's pretty chill that this guy's just been shot to death. Yeah, and I mean, I think I mentioned this in my notes later on. I don't know whether this under wasn't under the purview of the comics code, but the Punisher is allowed to shoot somebody right through the head yeah. on panel yeah. in this particular comic. Now, maybe giant-sized boots weren't under the same re- restrictions as the regular comics, but this has been published in the UK edition completely untouched. Mm-hmm. You quite clearly see him shoot the guy in the forehead, and then there's a hole in it yeah. in the next panel. And his eyes are still open. <laughs> so that, there's, there's just that look of stunned surprise on his face that's like, oh, I've just been shot. <laughs> and Spider-Man's like, oh, it looks like i got a guardian angel. But Spider-Man's reaction to death all the way through this yeah. was distinctly uncharacteristic. Well, I thought maybe he's just getting over it because he's with the Punisher and he accepts that people are going to die if he teams up with the Punisher, but he'll get him next time when they're not fighting for the same cause. Well, see, I didn't get that. I think the problem through this entire story is Conway should have addressed this. Spider-Man has no problem, absolutely, with the Punisher's wholesale slaughter in this comic, whether it's here, whether it's with Magnum's guards later on, and there is no such thing as mercy bullets in this story, which I was thankful for. Yeah, so was I, actually. He's he's killing these guys, and Spider-Man apparently has no problem with it. Maybe it's after he sees the videotape of what the... uh... But this is before that. 
Yeah, so this is a problem. But later on, I just got, well, maybe he's a bit annoyed at the, the, the tape. So after he saw the videotape of what the gas did to people and that they were testing it on innocence, yeah. Spider-Man's morality just gets thrown out the window. For the, the, For the duration of this story, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's basically saying, yeah, well, these guys kind of deserve it. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. All right. Also, the videotape itself is pretty, you know... Graphic. Yeah. For a 1970s comic we, book. We see that woman melt, so a guy being shot in the head isn't the worst... No, again, we see. I, don't, I don't actually have Giant Size Spider-Man number four, because, like I say, it's quite expensive. I've got all the other Giant Size Spider-Man, but I don't have that one. So I don't know if it was approved by the Comics Code or not. But, yeah, like that's like the bit in Robocop, isn't it? Yeah. Where the guy from... ER gets melted in the acid bath. So that is, that. yeah, that's quite horrific as well. So, anyway, uh, the muggers in question that the Punisher is hunting at the opening of, of the story uh, are American citizens. So, Moses Magnum is just kidnapping random American citizens on American soil from the homes they're dragging this woman see this is the thing Spider-Man doesn't mention or maybe Spider-Man doesn't witness it it's not a mugging yeah. they are dragging her out through window. her window out of her apartment presumably wouldn't this have made much more sense to just kidnap homeless people that aren't going to be missed because there's plenty of them yeah this seemed a little bit stupid to me because it's calling attention to what Moses Magnum is doing yeah and surely at some point the US authorities would have gotten involved in this. Yeah. Now, no mention is made of that in this story. Now, if the Punisher had said something like, yeah, the authorities are involved because they've noticed this is happening, but it's all red tape and there's nothing that's going to get done about it, and while they're not doing anything, people are going to die, and that's why I'm going after them, I could have bought it. But as it stands, that, that doesn't make sense to me. They're kidnapping people from their home on US soil, and this just isn't attracting the attention of anybody other than the Punisher. I guess. <laughs> so that's a plot hole that you have no explanation. You're not even going to try and no prize that one. No, the government are being paid off. Everybody? Because Moses Magnum is such a big guy. I don't buy that at all. No, you're not having a no prize for that one. <laughs> uh, like a lot of 70s comics, it's split into separate chapters. Uh, chapter 2 is called Attack of the War Machine only chapter 1 is called To Sow the Seeds of Death's Day but I presume that that's the title that the whole thing goes under and part 3 is called Death Camp at the Edge of the World it sounds like a science fiction novel it does more than it does a Spider-Man story I think I do love the irony that in a Spider-Man summer special it's snowing yeah and Spider-Man wants a white Christmas I liked that, because this is the kind of thing that was just typical of UK reprints, where the seasons just didn't match up. Fair enough. And I don't think we ever really could. You know, I to found, be honest with you. I found it quite annoying with the Punisher's internal war journal monologues. Well, that would carry on into the 90s, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, just, um, I, I wasn't so hot with him just saying it to himself constantly, just talking to himself as though everything had to be chronicled and detailed. But he's not even writing it down, he's just saying it to himself... Well, I always presumed he's recording it into a dictaphone, isn't he? I don't know. Or a cassette recorder. I mean, you're right, we never actually see him 
holding a cassette recorder. Yeah. So it does just kind of imply that the Punisher sits in his van talking to himself. War journal entry 342. <laughs> Following upon the information I received last night, I encountered the enemy today on Eli Avenue on Long Island City. Spider-Man was also present. And you just want somebody to go, are you talking to him? <laughs> but it's, it doesn't even add anything to it. It doesn't tell us how he's feeling or whatever. He's either... He's just narrating the plot. Yeah, he's either telling us what's just happened or what is happening... Yeah, by the time we get to the Ennis run, he will use that, like, noir narration, won't he? The Punisher explaining his plans and going through his methodical rationale for what he's doing. Mm. Whereas here, yeah, you're absolutely right, he's just explaining the plot. He's just telling us stuff that we already know. And and cleverly, uh, well, not cleverly, telling us what we've just missed out because... Jerry Conway wanted to get right into the action and not and not have us a scene where Spider-Man wakes up from the tranquilizer. Which is fair enough. Yeah. I mean, he's only got a certain amount of pages to tell his story. Am I saying that it could have been in a slightly less clunky manner? Probably. Yeah, I did just like how the, the Punisher just tranquilizes Spider-Man. Yeah, it's lucky that he had a gun on him that tranquilizes people, isn't it? Yeah. When he's just shot everybody with that same gun. <laughs> But, alright, fair enough. Spider-Man's reaction to the nerve gas scenes, although they are quite harrowing, is wonderfully melodramatic. Yeah. It's wonderfully 70s. (laughs) I do like that. I thought that was uh, very, very well over the top. Um, Mosey's Magnum, as a villain, isn't particularly well developed. No. And he's really rather dull. Conway, as Michael has pointed out, frequently misuses the spider sense. But he also forgets how strong Spider-Man is. And he has him taken out really quite easily throughout the entire story. Now, I'll give him a pass in the assault on Magnum's base. Or the, what was it called? It does actually have a name, doesn't it? The Deterrence Research Corporation. Because the plan is to have Spider-Man get kidnapped and taken to the base. Now, they really are lucky that they they thought, let's take Spider-Man and test the gas on him, rather than going, let's just put a bullet in his head. Because surely superhero trouble would attract more attention than we want. But let's face it, these are the guys that are just kidnapping American citizens from their own homes. (laughs) So they obviously don't care (laughs) about attracting attention to themselves. He's also used as a punching bag. With alarming regularity throughout this story, isn't he? Mm. Uh, the only pass I can give to this is he's pretending. Okay. For the purposes of the plan. That's the only thing I can I can say. I, I love how out of place Spider-Man is in this, this little camp as well. He's just completely out of place in this story, isn't it? Yeah. It's It involves Spider-Man only because it's a Spider-Man comic. Yeah. He's out of his depth here. This isn't a Spider-Man story. And the only thing I could... I think... There's nothing really here for a Spider-Man fan. Mm. It's a Punisher story, and I can't help but think that as a Punisher solo story, this would have worked better, because they may have had more page counts to develop Moses Magnum as a bad guy, and even flesh out the Punisher. Because the Punisher's very angst-free in this, isn't he? Yeah. He actually smiles a few times, and makes a couple of not very good jokes. <laughs> So it's, he's not the haunted character that we would come to know and love. As written here, he's got none of the ambiguity and intrigue of later versions. And I think it's a case of the creator of the character not being the one who would flesh him out and others would later give him more personality than he has here. Mm. Nice nightfall moment, though. 
Yeah. Where Magnum cracked Spider-Man's back over his knee. But I still think this guy was, you know, no match for, for Moses Magnum. I also didn't understand the ending, where Magnum is quite willing to just leash, unleash the virus gas thing with him in the room with Spider-Man. Just because it would kill Spider-Man. Just because it would kill Spider-Man as well. Here's a wacky idea. If your point was to kill Spider-Man, why not just put a bullet in his head back in New York? Yeah. It's not something that that made a lot... Why is he willing to kill himself here just to kill Spider-Man? Yeah. I didn't didn't understand that. Because he's got the upper hand in the fight. Seems to me the smart thing to do is just keep pounding on Spidey, then lock him back in a cell somewhere, and then kill him. Or is a wacky idea, shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Because nobody has any problems with shooting anybody in this issue. But it, it's, he just does it to set up the Punisher killing him. He do, yeah, to set up the Punisher killing him in the same way that he has killed his own victims. And then Spider-Man asks the Punisher a stupid question. Did you know that shooting the gas cylinder would, uh, would kill him? And you're just like, well... Well, he says, did you hear me warn you about Magnum's gas cylinder? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course I did. Yeah. And you shot it anyway, knowing what would happen. I'm like, I don't get this. So throughout this entire story, Spider-Man, you've been with the Punisher as he has put bullets through people's <laughs> eyes. And you've had no problem with the wholesale slaughter of the guards. But killing Magnum in a dose of poetic justice, this was just a step too far for you. But even though... No, I, I actually think we're wrong, though. It's not a step too far. It's played like a, a comedic... <laughs> ending, isn't it? Yeah. It's plus, so you shot that canister knowing what it would do to him. Oh, you're a <laughs> wagon, you Frank. Although he's not called Frank yet. Okay. Not, we don't know his name. You're a wagger, you Punisher. Oh, how amusing you are. Oh, I have no problem with you. And you're killing people. You're all right. You're all right in my book. <laughs> What I don't get as well is the alert the US authorities, right? And they come down and they, they they bring all the people back back home and they just leave Spider-Man the Punisher. Like, you get off with it for helping us with this. Yeah, well, he says, Spider-Man says that he's going to go with them, doesn't he? Yeah. And the Punisher says he has his own transportation, which is a, a helicopter that just parked in the ground, which apparently no one in Moses Magnum's camp noticed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Punisher just landed his helicopter and then said, Hi, everybody, I'm here. But they all take off and leave Spider-Man there. Yeah. I, I want the next panel to be... Oh, everyone... Was everyone gone? <laughs> and Spider-Man stuck there on his own. I just don't get why the US government would just let Spider-Man and the Punisher go. Just, there'd, there'd be questions. They'd have to escape, or the Punisher would be arrested, or Spider-Man would be arrested yeah. for uh, accomplicing a murder. Well, given that the uh, the police in New York wanted to arrest him earlier on in the story, here, the UN apparently just don't give a toss about Spider-Man or the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll rescue all these people. You guys just go about your business. If we don't arrest you, don't tell anyone how lazy we are. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe just <laughs> the report will completely omit any mention of Spider-Man. Spider-Man yeah. or the Punisher. And they'll say, we reacted on a tip-off and we took down this terrorist cell all on our own. Well, what about this kid here who says he had a conversation with Spider- Oh, the kid was delusional. Uh, he was searching Fury, the hero who readed the bits. <laughs> I can actually buy that. Yeah. But it still doesn't make no sense why they didn't arrest either one of them. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, to sow the seeds shows the problems Marvel had with the Punisher in the 1970s. Here he is, taking out a man responsible for 
heinous acts against innocent people. A repugnant man who thoroughly deserves what he gets. Yet one can't help but think Spider-Man would have had more of a problem with the Punisher and his actions, yet Spidey treats the Punisher as a friend and equal throughout the story. A story that depicts the Punisher as almost completely devoid of any moral complexity. And when you don't address the moral implications of the Punisher's actions, you make him a one-dimensional cipher. A brutal vigilante with no depth or personality. It's not a bad story, it's not a bad issue in and of itself... But it's not a classic, is it? It's just a decent Punisher story, co-starring Spider-Man. Yeah, that just happens to appear in a Spider-Man comic, because it's not a Spider-Man story. No. By any stretch of the imagination. In fact, most of the problems with this issue is Spider-Man's involvement. Yeah. Like I said, if they'd fleshed this out to be a 29-page Punisher solo story, and given some more character development to Moses Magnum and the Punisher himself, it probably would have been a much better yeah. Adventure. Maybe it was because they wanted to tell a Punisher story, but they thought maybe he wouldn't sell as much on his own. Maybe. Maybe they just then just yeah put him in a Spider-Man team-up book and it'll sell better. Yeah. Entirely possible. This is pretty much, though, how it would go for the Punisher in the late 1970s and into the 1980s. He would eventually be given a shot at the big time in two of Marvel's 70s black and white magazines, Marvel Preview Issue 2 and Marvel Super Action Issue Number 1. But for the most part, he'd bounce around from guest appearance to guest appearance, as here. He popped back up in Spider-Man in 1976, an art that was more interested in promoting the new X-Men, and he'd clash with Hitman in Amazing Spider-Man Issue 174 in 1977. He met Captain America in Cap issue 241, popped back to clash with Spider-Man again in Amazing Spider-Man 201 and 202, all in 1980. And in Amazing Spider-Man annual number 15 from 1981, he would have great fun thwarting Doctor Octopus killing 5 million people. An issue that we covered not long ago. Good issue, that. Frank Miller, who drew that issue, would be the one that made him interesting again when The Punisher appeared in Daredevil issue 183 and 184 in 1982. However, it was starting to look like this was all The Punisher was going to be, a trigger-happy, one-dimensional, macho fantasy. His nadir came in Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 81 through 83 in 1983, where writer Bill Mantlo portrayed The Punisher as an out-and-out lunatic who shot at jaywalkers and litterbugs. It would take Stephen Grant and artist Mike Zeck to bring The Punisher back from the brink and set him on a course that would not only give him a future, but a bright one. Grant, in an interview on PunisherComics.com, has said that his way into the character was a quote from philosopher Heidegger. Heidegger, Heidegger the boozy beggar, said, Since we can never hope to understand why we're here, if there's even anything to understand, the individual should choose a goal and pursue it wholeheartedly, despite the certainty of death and the meaninglessness of action. That's miserable, isn't it? A little bit. This is how Stephen Grant chose to characterise the man, someone who knows he will die and that, in the big picture, his actions will count for naught, but who pursues his course of action because this is what he has chosen to do. Released in late 1985 with a January 1986 cover date, The Punisher No. 1 was a five-issue miniseries, despite what it says on the cover, and was The Punisher's Renaissance. He was a character waiting for the right time, and the mid-1980s, with Dirty Harry and Paul Kersey still tearing up the screens and John's Rambo and Matrix making mindless slaughter fun again, were that time. 
Mike Zek created a series of absolutely gorgeous painted covers for this series, most of which have been recolored for various different reprints. This one has the Punisher back against the wall, opening fires as bullets hit the wall behind him. Do you like that? Yeah. That's the most you can muster, mister. Yeah, the art looks different than the pencils, the, the, the paintedness. Yeah. It kind of gives it like a, a CG quality to it. Yeah, because the pencils for the first issue are reproduced at the back of this hardcover novel that we've got here, and they're absolutely fantastic. Mm. The pencils to everything are much better than the, the finished results, even the painted ones, aren't yeah, I they? I do like the paintings, but I think painting them gives them... It, it kind of takes away the noir look that the pencils have. Yeah, the pencils are just gorgeous. And if uh, if you can get a hold of, uh, what is this, the Circle of Blood hardcover off red paperback, I recommend you do, because the entire issue is republished just as pencils. And they're absolutely fantastic. Punisher issue one, Circle of Blood. The Punisher finds himself in jail again, but this time it's because he wants to be there. He's been going through some serious head trips of late, and the only way this could have happened was if he had been drugged, and the only place he could have been drugged was prison food. Whilst the cook did the drugging, it was at the behest of noted crime lord Jigsaw, who has a particular beef against Castle for messing up his pretty face. The Punisher makes his way to Jigsaw's private area of the prison and takes a mighty beating. But once again, it's all in service of his overall master plan to get to Jigsaw. And Castle crushes Jigsaw's hand, breaking every bone in it. Maybe Superman 2 was the prison movie. Jigsaw is about to get his revenge when he's called off by Don Cervello, real king of this particular heap, and Cervello offers Castle a deal. A truce whilst they escape, the plans for which are already in motion. Castle agrees, even as Cervello promises Castle to his henchman, Gregorio. Sure enough, the night of the breakout, Gregorio tries to take Castle out with a makeshift silencer and a weapon he acquired from a paid-off guard, but Castle was ready and fakes his death with a rolled-up mattress. Now free to move unfettered, Castle makes his way to the control tower as Cervello and the prisoners make their move. With a number of guards bought off, the remaining ones are taken unawares, but Castle takes the tower and brings the security system back online. Gregorio spots Castle and aims to end him, but Castle takes him out with a minimum of fuss. With it all going to pot, Castle takes off after Cervello and Jigsaw, who have made a beeline to the Warden's office. Castle, not willing to let the Warden die, throws a weapon at Jigsaw, but the bullets are too big, and when Jigsaw shoots at Castle, it backfires in his face. Cervello then points a weapon at the Warden, but Castle doesn't care. Kill the Warden, I kill you. Don't kill the Warden, I kill you. It's all the same to me. Cervalo hesitates for a moment and Castle strikes, pistol whipping them out. He then turns to the Warden. Castle is leaving. The Warden can drive him out. Sadly, guards show up, but the Warden surprises Castle by saying Castle is the hero here. Castle is confused, but alone now, the Warden tells Castle that his organisation needs a man like Castle. The courts, the police, Congress, they have no control, but there is a trust funded by like-minded people, and Castle can be free again to do what he does best, only this time with financial backing. As a gesture, the Warden gives Castle his outfit back, and the Punisher walks again. Uh, This is apparently the first time we learn that the Punisher's name is Frank Castle. Alright. Before that, uh, we didn't know that. And later on... Is it later on we would find out that... uh, no, no, it's here we find out as well that his original name is Castiglione. Right. And they changed the name when they moved to... Um, 
Well, it doesn't say why. They just said they changed his name when he was six. Why would they change his name from Castiglione to Castle? I don't know. Maybe there was some bad blood going on. Get with rid of the Italian heritage. Yeah, maybe they just wanted to blend in. What is it with, with the Punisher and Italian mobsters? What is it with New York and Italian mobsters? I don't know. I just have visions of him killing Joey Tribbiani. <laughs> That's just not very nice, is it? Are you doing... <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Friends ends that way. That would be a completely different ending to the show, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joey has never had any money and never got any acting gigs because it was all a cover for the fact that he was an Italian mobster. That makes sense. And the last episode of the show is Frank Castle gunning him down in front of the other five. Oh, the Punisher guns him down for the, the sequel to Friends. <laughs> Which is a punishment <laughs> that he really did deserve slapping about the face with. Perhaps not killing. Yeah. It wasn't quite that bad. <laughs> poor Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> I'm one of us poor Matt LeBlanc. Million dollars an episode he got paid. Yeah. I don't think he was bothered <laughs> that Joey sucked Moose. Uh, the... Black and white shot on page two is absolutely glorious. Like Michael said, the black and white stuff is much better mm. from uh, the colour stuff of the, the warden watching old cinephiles. Castle's arrival at Rikers Island is a very funny opening. All the cells are abuzz with chatter at his arrival and a guard clearly panicked just says, we don't want no trouble. And it's Frank who says, who does? <laughs> He's very laconic and funny in this. Yeah. Did you not get a very Clint Eastwood smart ass one liner vibe yeah, off him yeah. in this particular story? Kind of a contrast to the last one where he was just, yeah, I'm the Punisher, I shoot people. I'm fun, <laughs> I'm a fun guy. Whereas in this one, he's very, make my day. Mm. Which is probably a better characterisation for him, I thought. Not so hot on the whole kung fu thing, though. Do you not think? I, I think the, the Punisher's more of a. Batman. He, I think he's more of a bare knuckle fighter. Yeah, exactly. I think like Batman, he, he takes him down in the least amount of punches. Where in this, he's just doing all of his kung fu moves. In fact, we have a direct quote of "Hi ya." Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I'm not saying there's a problem with it because it, it's quite an entertaining fight scene. It's just yeah, it's is is it's the typical prison scene of of the room cellmate. Sorry, trying to make him his bitch. Yeah, yeah. And Frank's like, no, we're going to put an end to this right now, and he, he just kicks the crap out of him. Yep, doesn't he? Yeah, all right. You're fair enough. I do prefer him as a burnacle brawler than um, a kung fu expert, but kind of worked mm. for the context of what they were doing. The Punisher does some detective work, which I always like, because he does this in Ennis's run as well, doesn't yeah. he? I like how his monologue is actually him telling us why he's doing it, rather yeah. than just what he's doing. His monologue isn't explaining to us a plot that we already know from reading the story. Yeah, yeah. His monologue is explaining away the Bill Mantlo stuff, yeah. where he's shooting at jaywalkers and, and litterbugs. And he's basically what Stephen Grant's doing. He's working that quite terrible characterisation into his story. He was obviously being drugged, which is why he was insane. And now he's investigating why that's going on. Which is the preferred way of of doing it. Yeah. He's not undermining Mantelow's stories. He's just retconning it he's for merely, the better. Yeah, he's retconning why he behaved that way in those stories, which is completely out of character yeah. for the Punisher. His detective work leads into Frisky Martin, who's the guy who drugged his food. Although I didn't understand that on the next page he was called Frisky Martini. He's called Frisky Martin there. You ever going to cut me a real meal, Martini? And then on the next page he goes back to being Frisky Martin. Maybe they call him Martini because Martin, Martini, 
Funny, yeah, it's a nickname. Pr- prison, prison wordplay. Funny prison. Funny prison. Yeah, because the thing I associate with prison is having a good sense of humour. Yeah, because, you know, Martini's a better name than bitch. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> right, when it, when yeah, it comes yeah. to prison nicknames, you can do worse. All right, okay. I, I'll, I will accept your no prize <laughs> in that particular scenario. Castle makes his way to Jigsaw by beating the crap out of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Which is fun. A lot of fun to be had, though. Uh, Jigsaw's living high on the hog at uh, the other end of the prison. All the fights are well choreographed. I do like that he's got a big old comfy chair and somebody's massaging him. Yeah. I don't want to wonder what he's been getting up to with the guy who is massaging him. (laughs) But, uh, you know. As Castle makes his way through this area of the prison, there's a guard who just ignores him and Mm. lets him through. And I like the way Frank just looks at him and goes, Bart... I'll remember him. Yeah. So you know he's got some punishment coming his way at some point in the future. I like that. I thought that was great. And he crushes Jigsaw's hand to powder. And you actually see it bleeding all over the place. Yeah. Seemingly the Jigsaw recovers from this as the issue goes along. Yeah, because he's he's just wielding a gun around. Yeah, he's got no problem wielding the gun later on. Mm. Which I thought was a bit... You know, I would have liked to have seen him bitching that he has to use his left hand. Yeah, yeah. Because the Punisher's crushed his right hand. I thought that was quite good. And he could shoot the Punisher, but he can't aim because he's using his other hand. There you go, that would have worked as well. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. You should write this <laughs> stuff. Oh, you should have been the editor. I, I, I did like how um, the clever the gun the guns are. Like, he's using a, a, a makeshift silencer with yeah. the bottle. And because he, he can, as he explains in the the narration, he can probably get a gun smuggled in, but silences are harder. Yeah. So he's gambling that he will have to use some other kind of silencer, and that the gun that he will get won't be high caliber. So the logical thing to do is use a bottle. Yeah. So he puts all this together, and because it's low caliber weapon, mm. the the bottle's going to slow the bullet down. So he wraps himself up in a mattress. A couple of times, doesn't he? And then covers himself with the blanket. Yeah. What I didn't get though was, did he use like a plastic bottle or a glass one? Because it looks like glass. I'd have thought it would be a glass bottle in 1985. Right, because that just makes no sense. Why? Because well, the whole point of a silencer is to silence it, right? Yes. But if you're using a glass bottle, it not only would it slow down the bullet even more because of how thick the glass is, mm. but you've got the sound of glass shattering, so that defeats the whole point of the silencer. Well, there's also the thing as well, it only seems to shoot out the bottom of the bottle on the neck. He's walking away, the bottle is still in one piece. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't actually know the physics. Because it all depends on what kind of bottle he's using. Yeah, because I, I can't remember what it was, but I remember seeing something where they had um, a plastic bottle on the end of it. Right. They just you know, they unscrewed the lid and set, um, used elastic bands to stick it on. And did the plastic bottle work as well? Yeah. Right. Maybe it's a plastic bottle. It doesn't say, it just says our bottle, doesn't it? Yeah. It says a soda bottle. So, did they have plastic soda bottles in 1985? I don't remember when they started coming in. And it made more sense for it to be plastic in a prison, because you can shank anyone with glass. That's a good point also. Yeah. So it probably is a plastic bottle. Right? Yeah. Alright. Well done. I don't know whether to be unnerved <laughs> by how you knew to do that. Or I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah. If you ever get into trouble, you will know how to make a makeshift silencer. You are like MacGyver. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could survive in prison. Yeah, but you don't want to because you're pretty. 
Well, the best thing to do is you get arrested with a friend so you can pretend to be each other's bitch and then everyone else would stay away. Would they really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you bear that in mind. (laughs) Burr being a particular word used. Yes. So have you got any burr friends? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, see, that's the prettiest of your friends. You may just want to just not go to prison. I mean, I'm just throwing that out. (laughs) I I just won't go to to shower. (laughs) I'd, I'd rather stink than maintain my uh, my dignity. Yeah, alright. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what I did like as well, or what I did think was stupid, is um, his cellmate grabs hold of him and says, oh, heck, he's dead. So he doesn't check a pulse. Yeah. He doesn't check that he's still breathing in any way. So the Punisher's plan really here depends on his, his cellmate being a, a bit stupid. Well, we knew that anyway, really. That's true. Alright, so do you think he's holding his breath? Could be. To pretend to be dead. Because if this guy had just took a pulse, the thing would... Although, to be fair, the Punisher probably could have taken him out quickly and silently and everyone would have just thought he was dead anyway. Yeah. But he, uh, he makes a big deal of saying, now everyone thinks I'm dead, I can move around unfettered and, and that's great. What I did quite like is that he gets his shirt ripped and so for the rest of it he's shirtless. Yeah. Well, he's in prison. Yeah. Where was he going to get a shirt from? D- Plus he wants to show off his manly physique. D- yeah, true that. <laughs> I love that when Castle gets out in the grounds, everybody thinks he's dead. So he actually thinks about just running. Yeah. Just getting out of prison here and now. And the reason that he doesn't is he's concerned by how much damage all these prisoners could do, how many people they could hurt or kill yeah. before he got to them all. But I did like that he thought about it. He thought, I could just get out now. Nobody even knows. Yeah. Nobody would be looking for me straight away. He's not a, a drone just trying to kill people. He yeah. thinks about himself. He's yeah. more human. Yeah. And he, he would actually go, and I'll hunt them all down individually on the outside. Yeah. And then he, he ultimately changes his mind because, like I said, they could do any manner of damage to anyone once they're out. Uh, the last act is essentially just action as he chases down Jigsaw and uh, Don Servalo and I actually thought it was really good emphasises that Frank's pretty calm I love love the standoff at the end where he's got the gun pointed at the wall I thought the the little hostage spit at the end was great especially when he puts in bullets into the the barrel that's too big for the barrel so it explodes when Jigsaw has it so when he throws the gun to Jigsaw it's the, the yeah, he's put the wrong size bullets in it so it backfires so what would have been brilliant though is if he's using his left hand because his right hand's crushed yeah. and this backfires and blows his left hand yeah. that would have been fantastic <laughs> so yeah the ending is brilliant showing how calm and clever Castle is that he swaps the bullets for a, a gun that are too big for the gun so it backfires and then Cervalo threatening the warden and then Castle's just I don't care yeah. He dies here. You die here. There's symmetry in that. <laughs> He's like, and then suddenly he starts. Because this is a standoff I've never understood when you're playing with somebody like this. Let me go or I'll kill this guy. Yeah. To which the answer is always fine, kill the guy. But then I kill anywhere. you. So. <laughs> yeah. So there's your choice. If you let that guy go, you've got a possibility of walking out here alive. You kill him, I'm just going to shoot you. Mm. But the warden dying, no skin off my nose. I liked that. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant ending. Um, essentially, this is the birth of the Punisher as we know him, isn't it? Yeah. Apart from some newsreel footage and on the last page of the issue, he doesn't even appear as the Punisher. Mm. Instead, Stephen Grant gives us a magnificent hard-boiled prison drama 
that just works magnificently. While it's not really capable of depicting the violence and language of Punisher Max stories today, he still manages to make this an action-packed story that moves really quickly and is perfectly paced. It never feels like a double-sized issue. And I mean that in a good way. I got to page 40 of this and didn't notice it was double-sized. I just tore through it. The last two pages I didn't bother with in the synopsis because they set up a subplot that, that pays off in the uh, in the miniseries. And then Castle gets inducted into the Trust, which essentially is a play on the Dirty Harry movie Magnum Force and the Star Chamber, which was a Michael Douglas movie, about an, a gang of people inside the system yeah. using vigilantes to, to kill criminals who get off on technicalities. A more murderous neighbourhood watch. Basically, yes. But other than the last two pages, really, and then that set up for the miniseries, this works as a standalone issue. Castle isn't a deep man. Yeah. But there is a taciturn quality to him in this story that that Stephen Grant plays up well. He doesn't even really kill anyone. Yeah. The body count in this one is lower than in the Spider-Man one. Yeah. Yeah. But... It's pretty obvious that, dead or not, they're not getting up and walking away with no injuries. Yeah. He's, he's crippled quite a lot of people. He works much better here mm. than he did in the Spider-Man story. Divorced I, of superheroes. Yeah, yeah. I thought that even the most ground level of characters like Spider-Man and Daredevil don't really fit mm. now in a Punisher story. And I, I really like how clever he is, though. Not mm. as the Punisher, but as Frank Castle, the Punisher. Yeah. He's not all, got all these fancy weapons like he ha- he's had like in the Spider-Man stuff. He's got real guns that he has knowledge of, and he knows how everything works, and he thinks through it all. Yeah. I like that. Well, I like that this basically is everything you don't like about him stripped away from him. Yeah. He's got nothing here except his wits. Yeah, and, and he's, I, yeah. he's clever without knowing everything. Yeah, he's not a know-all clever, mm. but he knows what he's doing and how he's doing it. And you can argue that some of his plan works based upon luck. Like, his guard being too stupid to check for a pulse or whatever. Yeah. But the rest of it, yeah, what he does with Jigsaw at the end, substituting bigger bullets and a smaller calibre gun, is smart Yeah, and clever, because he, he, and again, he's... He, it's lucky that Jigsaw shoots him with that same gun, mm. but at the same time, he reads Jigsaw well. He knows what he is. Yeah. He knows that he's, he's a bit of an asshole. Um, and this was great. This was a ground-level Punisher story. Prison drama, essentially. Mm-hmm. He's stripped away of everything, including his costume, and he gets by on his wits and smarts. And his brutality. Yeah. Let's, let's not forget that. They've yet to make a Punisher movie as good as this issue. Yeah. Even though I, I quite like the Thomas Jane one. I've only seen the Thomas Jane one. And the ten minute short movie with Thomas Jane in. Oh, uh, you, you told me about that earlier on. Yeah, yeah. I will have to watch that, because uh, it does look quite interesting. Oh, good, that. Absolutely yeah. blinding. What did you think? I, I really liked it. Really, really. Good, good, good. Yeah. Did you read the rest of it, or just that one issue? I was going to read the rest of it, actually. But I, I got to the end, and it's the starting introducing Italian <laughs> masters. Of, How are you doing? This, again... <laughs> Can well, we move back on? when they did that, <laughs> that was new. It was 1985. Yeah. So, you know. 
the five issue miniseries was ultimately controversial for a number of reasons for one Marvel never seemed to be able to decide if it was four or five issues it being labelled as both on the covers Stephen Grant always planned it as five but Zek took an inordinate amount of time over the double sized first issue meaning that issue five was in danger of missing its shipping date the editor employed a new artist and Grant walked in support of his collaborator the mini though was a huge success successfully establishing the character out on his own and operating just slightly askew of the Marvel Universe proper, although he would still cross over at times. Its success led to the Punisher's own series in 1987 and Punisher Mania truly began. In 1988, Punisher War Journal launched with art by Jim Lee, and with the introduction of a third title, 1992's Punisher Warzone, the character was finally getting his due. Punisher Warzone issue 7 is cover dated September 1992 and has a cover by John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janssen. A gun from off cover is pointed at the Punisher's head with a single speech balloon. Police! Freeze! The Punisher has a broken nose, the result of last issue. Uh, but it's pretty good cover, isn't it? Yeah. So he's not drawn in with a, a nose. That is a follow-on from the six-issue story out that uh, has just happened. It's good, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think uh, that uh, we won't be terribly negative about John Jr. and Klaus Janssen this week, will we? Mm-hmm. Mugger's Picnic was written by Chuck Dixon and art by the aforementioned Ramita Jr. and Klaus Janssen with assist by Mike Manley. Rosalie Carbone, the last surviving member of the Carbone crime family, is pissed off. She has been excluded from a meeting of made men to discuss the future. Bad enough that the Punisher wiped out her family, bad enough that she slept with him, but this is the last straw, and she takes matters into her own hands, having her men wipe out the entire room. Elsewhere, the Punisher is recovering from his wounds sustained taking out the Carbones by stalking his prey in Central Park. A serial rapist has been working the park and the Punisher wants him ended. A scream pierces the night as a family are attacked. The Punisher wipes out the attackers brutally, efficiently and with finality. No second chances. That's the kind of man he is. Without a word, he steals back into the night. The park teems with lowlifes and pretty soon the Punisher has located more scum. A crack deal. Four men. Two through the heart, two through the head. Target practice. No more crack deal. But no rest for the wicked. A junkie tries to steal a child for money or worse. He'll never bother anyone again. But still, his target eludes him. He takes back to his blind and waits. A dumb jogger runs by a young woman. A man attacks the target. The Punisher interferes, taking the man down hard. However, the fight takes them over a ditch and the man breaks free. The Punisher aims his ten milli at the man only to find a weapon trained on him. That dumb jogger is an undercover cop. Uh, The opening three pages picks up the plot threads of the opening arc that ran through the first six issues. Uh, What happened was the Punisher infiltrated the Carbone family as Johnny Tower, an out-of-town musclehead, and used the internal information to take the family out systematically. One of the people he pumped for information was Rosa Lee. She's not best impressed by it to be honest with her, that uh, he was, you know, getting every exclusive whilst then killing her entire family. Okay. You can understand why she'd be uh, a tad annoyed by that lovely splash page on page four of the Punisher just waiting in Central Park for his prey. Where was this art team last week? Yeah. You know, this good art team. I really like Janssen and Romita, so I don't think with Superman it was Janssen's fault, but here... 
this is just getting into where I really like them. Yeah, the art in this is spectacular, isn't it? I mean, I suppose there are some places that people may still have a problem, because it's clearly still John Jr. Mm. And it's now clearly John Jr. influenced by Frank Miller. Yeah. But it's just... It's so detailed and well done. Look at his Central Park compared to the crap that we got last week. Mm -hmm. It's hard to believe it's the same guy whilst it being quite obviously the same guy. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know what happened with his Superman stuff. I really don't. Uh, there's some lovely motivation here as well. Uh, the Punisher took quite a beating in the first art, which I read all of in preparation, because you know, I'm dedicated mm -hmm. to this show. And so this is him basically just getting back in, in the game, just hang around his Central Park and shoot some lowlifes through the head. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? It's, it's like the Punisher's version of going hunting. Yeah. Pretty much the most dangerous game. Yeah. Isn't it? And I always like versions of the most dangerous game. Um, was Central Park at night a really a no-go area in the early 90s? See, I just... Reading comics... Would I've, say so. Yeah, I've just always assumed that New York City as a whole... You don't go out at night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Equalizer kind of painted that picture as well. Yeah. You don't go out at night time, you'll get mugged. So, yeah, alright, fair enough. It does beg the question, though, why is this family walking through the park at night with their kid? Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> walking back from a party, I don't know. And they've decided to take a shortcut. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know... Um, I really like the, the guy running into the Punisher's arm. Yeah. Just clotheslines it. Yeah, and that's absolutely brilliant. And I love the, the monologue, the... I feel the snap through the meat of his neck. My arm's going to be sore in the morning. Yeah. He's going to be on a steel table at about that time. That's funny! Yeah, yeah. It's a nice black humour. Oh, it's just how real it is as well. You can feel his neck snapping, but yeah. and it hurts him as well. Yeah, but the Punisher's like, I don't care. Yeah? Guy's dead now. Don't give a toss. Um, the first takedown is a simple mugging. The Punisher gets up close and personal in this particular one. He hones his combat skills, takes them all out with finality, doesn't, doesn't mess around. There is an interesting question of morality here, because there is in all good Punisher stories, did the Punisher have to kill these men? Sure, they were scum. Yeah. But what the Punisher does here, he slits a man's throat yeah. in front of a child. I mean, granted, they'll never commit any crimes again. <laughs> but I don't know whether that child will ever, will ever get over this. Yeah, yeah. He's either just <laughs> confined that child to therapy. Or For the rest of his life. Or he's just created another criminal. Or he's created another Punisher. Yeah. In the future. That kid will grow up to, my family would be dead without this guy. I will follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Which would be an interesting story. Interesting sequel to... Uh, to talk about the lads we've mentioned the dark humour to it as well the Punisher in addition to the guy snapping his neck clothes lining him is funny he also mentions that you know when you kill people with a knife you've got to be careful to not get blood on your uniform yeah because it stains <laughs> well that <laughs> that reminded me of in the Punisher video game during the loading screens, like most games do, it gives you hints and stuff. Yeah. And one of the hints is how to get dried blood out of your clothes. And how do you do it? Uh, you've got to, um, like, wash it in a sink or something with this kind of soap, and then you dry, uh, leave it out to hang. Again, I don't know whether to be proud or scared. 
Have you uh, adopted this tack on, uh, on more than one occasion? Well, can I... Can I get this blood out of my clothes? I'm good enough not to get the blood on my clothes. Is that what it is? That's what it is. Because everything you do is a video again, obviously. Of, of course, and yeah, not, yeah, yeah. in real life. Yeah. Okay. The crack deal is next. Dixon writes a, a humorless Punisher, despite the black comedy that runs through his narration. Jerry Conway's Punisher smiled on occasion. Stephen Grant wrote him as a man with a laconic black sense of humour, a Clint Eastwood type. Dixon's Punisher doesn't know what humour is. Yeah. Certainly the lines about the arm. You don't get that he's being funny, though, even though we find them funny. He's very deadpan about it. Yeah, you get the feeling that if this guy smiled, his face would crack. Yeah. That's the kind of Punisher that he's writing. And the crap deal is just target practice. He's done the up close and personal. He knows he's on the top of his game there. He, uh, four shots, four men, blam. He's just mixing up, testing his abilities. And then I love the two heart shots, two head shots. I figure 300 yards. At night, downhill. I still got it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, I don't know that I should be laughing at this. Yeah. But I did. So, you know, I just have a, a very black sense of humour, obviously. Uh, he then comes across the man stealing a child. We don't see what he does to this guy. In fact, most of the violence is off-panel. I mean, it's still a code-approved book, although we do see him shoot the four crack dead men. Yeah. I would argue, mm, see, I don't know, you just see blood spatter, don't you? Yeah. It's not quite bullet through the head as it was in Giant's <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah, even this is pretty tame compared to that issue of Spider-Man. Yeah. That's a, that's a Spider-Man comic. <laughs> yeah. You see the bullet go through the head in the Spider-Man comic. But everything else, they kind of do it off-panel. All right, fair enough. There does look like there's a production correction when he, he takes on the child stealer. He says, um, you never know where these slugs have been, and slugs looks like it's been replaced. Oh, yeah. By, do you think he said Bastards. And they thought, you know, code approved boot, we can show somebody getting shot through the head, but we can't say the word bastard. Yeah, yeah. Apparently. Violence is A-OK, but swearing in sex, nope. Yeah, well, you know, he could have been being factually correct. Yeah. We don't know, do we? (laughs) You know, that's all I'm saying. Um, I do, see, so far I'm with it, I'm down with it, and there's a black humour to it, and it's, it's quite fun. I didn't get the scene with the two lovers, the man looks like he's raping the woman. Yeah. She is saying no repeatedly. And there's even a gag at the expense of no means no. Right? Yeah. But then she turns around and says it's her boyfriend. All which right. sent out a weird message to me. If this is some kind of sex role play thing. Right. If this is a sexual fantasy of hers to be taken in the park buy somebody and it you know that kind of thing if that's a fantasy of hers that's fine right because she's in control and she knows how far it can go and presumably he's in on it with her being her boyfriend and that's perfectly okay you know what two adults do to spice up their sex life is entirely up to them it's none of my business but the scene doesn't make that clear if he's really forcing himself on her boyfriend or no then the Punisher should have kicked him about a bit. Uh, maybe not killed him. What I got was maybe she was just not in the park, a little embarrassed. Stop it, knock it off. Uh, see, either way, it doesn't make that, that clear, does it? No. And using no means no as a joke, I was a little bit uncomfortable with this page. 
Um, I didn't mind it because the way they ran off together. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The if, way she defended him. Yeah, if if this is, you know, if this is like I say, if this is a sex roleplay thing and she's down with it, we've got no problems. But I think he should have made that a little bit clearer. Yeah. Okay. Because even the Punisher has a joke about it, saying "Hello, young lovers." Mm. So I, didn't, I don't think he made that quite clear what was going on there. Well, I found the page quite funny, to be honest. Well, you're sick, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Um, the Punisher is guilty of prejudging here. He assumes that the dumb jogger is someone who has taken an online karate course and thinks she's Bruce Lee, which <laughs> I found funny. It's, it's quite a sexist of him. Yeah, absolutely. To be honest with you. Um, in fact, she's a cop indulging in some vigilante work on the side. Okay. Which I thought was a nice, a nice little twist. Yeah, the I like she misjudged. Yeah. Tom, I'm allowed to laugh because he got arrested for it. Yes, you're, you're allowed to laugh <laughs> at that because he misjudged her and she pretty much kicked his ass and got the drop on him. Yeah. So that's fair enough. That's okay. Um... Other than the small point, that one page that I raised above, and I freely admit, it just may just be me. I may just be reading a little bit too much into that. I actually thought this was a fantastic issue. The opening six issues of this comic were brilliant, um, but this follows up on that. It isn't quite done in one, but were you lost with it? Um, I just assumed that the four subplot pages just, I didn't care about them. Yeah. Dixon's Punisher takes no prisoners and he's out. The art is brilliant. The art's yeah. absolutely fantastic. I now have to pick up more issues of Punisher Warzone because I've only got the first eight. Okay. Because I want to find out how this ends and I think they all leave after issue ten. Right. So I presume Dixon wraps up all these storylines because I want to see how that, that finishes. Do you like that one? Uh, I did, yeah. Which was your favourite of the three? The last one. Actually, I don't know. The, I liked the 80s and the 90s one. Mm. They were both different takes on the same guy. Yeah, yeah. But I liked that he was becoming the Punisher that I like. Yeah, over the duration of it. It was kind of like Happy Birthday Superman. Yeah. You've basically seen him become who he is going to be mm. as you go into the late 90s, 2000s. Yeah. I, like, I, I have to confess, I think, um, Circle of Blood was brilliant as a prison drama. Strip him of everything and make him rely on his wits. Well, I like that because that was... Frank Castle as the Punisher whereas yeah. the Warzone one was the Punisher yeah he's, if there's no Frank Castle in the Punisher Warzone story I think the circle of blood is hindered by the fact that the miniseries peters off because of the creative team leaving before it finishes right and the art becomes visibly not as good as you go along yeah because he spent so long on issue one that so, you're rushing the rest of it yeah but, but issue one was brilliant yeah I really did like issue one Sadly, the bloom came off the rose sometime in the mid-1990s. As Marvel Comics were wont to do in the 90s, they milked the Punisher cash cow for all it was worth, not only bequeathing Frank Castle with three ongoing monthly titles, but Punisher Magazine, which clocked up 16 issues of reprints, summer specials, winter specials and one-shots. The character failed to keep up his popularity, and as his star waned, so did his sales. Punisher War Journal and Warzone were all cancelled in the summer of 1995, having clocked up 104, 80 and 41 issues respectively. This being Marvel, they relaunched almost immediately in late 1995, but he could only manage an 18-issue run. However, you can't keep a good vigilante down, as we'll see next time when the Punisher takes on the Slavers. See you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. 
The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us, as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Have a happy... Oh, don't sit down with my balls on these old chairs, do I? No, you don't. You're very... No, you know, let's talk about something other than my father's balls. So, hey, the weather's nice. <laughs> it is actually a very pleasant day. If the late 1980s and early 1990s were a boom time for Frank Castle, that's wrong. That's number two. We've not done episode one. <laughs> what a nonce. Okay. That's a teaser for next week's episode.